Open your Bibles again to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Again, we're going to be looking at the whole chapter today, verses 1 through 13. And in uh, 1 Corinthians 8, the Apostle Paul continues in his response uh, to a letter, or letters, that the church had sent to him previously. A letter that seems to have included at least a few questions pertaining to what Christians are and are not supposed to do, or what they are and are not allowed to do. It's interesting to note that the questions uh, that Paul answers seem to be more in the form of statements, assertions, from the Corinthian believers. Uh, Less asking Paul what is right or wrong, and more telling Paul why they think they're right to do what they're doing or not to do what they're not doing. It would make sense that as this a body of believers lived in the midst of their culture in their day, and as they worked through what it meant to be the church and how they were going to live, they began to have some disagreements about certain things. And they'd worked out and developed their own arguments to defend their positions. The main problem, however, was that their conclusions and their motivations and their thinking were missing a fairly important component. Love. Love. And as a result, they were mostly interested in what they could receive, what they could do, and what they could enjoy. So, for example, just to put this in perspective, let me read to you from another of Paul's letters. This is from Colossians chapter 1. And let's let's let this serve as an example of a message that Paul might have preached. Okay, so Colossians 1, I'm starting in verse 9. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has, now here comes some reasons for joy, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, the Son, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. He is of first importance of all creation, For by him, by Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him, through Christ, and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, the resurrection, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Glory! And then it says this, and you, so that's Christ, how about us? And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you 
You who were alienated and hostile in mind and evil deeds, doing evil deeds, he's presenting you now holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Okay, you got all that in your minds? And then the Corinthians write to Paul, so can we eat this meat? Some people here are saying we shouldn't eat the meat, but I think we can, so can we? Or chapter 7, uh, we're allowed to have sex, right? We're allowed to get married? We're, or we're allowed to get divorced? Chapter 6, oh, oh by the way, uh, we're suing each other in the courts. Chapter 5, oh, and we have this guy who's sleeping with his stepmom, uh, but we haven't said anything because that would be awkward and judgmental looking. Uh, chapters 1 through 4. Uh, and by the way, Paul, some of us actually like Apollos better than you. Like, we know you're an apostle and all, and you saw Jesus and everything, but Apollos, that guy, that dude's got a great voice. Man, he can preach. These are the things the Corinthian believers are writing to Paul about. There's a major disconnect here, isn't there? It really appears that the church in Corinth had become quite people-centered, or really self-centered. And this would be opposed to what we might call a church that is Christ-centered or gospel-centered. These are terms that can be used synonymously. Uh, In his book called The Gospel, How the Church Portrays the Beauty of Christ, uh, author Ray Ortland says it this way, The doctrine of grace creates a culture of grace where good things happen to bad people. Good things happen to bad people. That's us. That's how we need to see things. And when these doctrines of grace, uh, the doctrine of the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ, when those things are of first importance in our church, love will be prominent. For God so loved the world. God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, bad people, Christ died for us. Church, this is who we want to be. A community of believers who remember that we are sinners who were saved by grace, who then love because he first loved us. And it's only when we keep that in the forefront of our minds that we will be okay when we read a passage like this today in the Bible and learn that the answer to our question of can we eat this meat or do whatever we want to do is yes and no. Can we play cards? Can we dance? Can we go to the movies? Can we fill in the blank with whatever rules that you can think of that we've written over the years? Where the Bible does not expressly give a command... And the answer you're going to get today is yes and no. Please don't let that disappoint you. If that disappoints you, you will be missing the point of this passage and you might even exchange a false gospel for the true gospel. What we're going to see today is that this meat gives an occasion for a greater discussion. A discussion about... Self-centered knowledge versus loving, Christ-centered, 
others-minded knowledge. A tearing others down versus building others up. A believing what I want, what entertains me, and what I can and can't get away with doing, believing that is of primary importance, versus remembering that we exist as the church through Christ and for God. A mindset of, this thing doesn't technically hurt me, versus, Christ technically got hurt. He died to save you and to save me from the consequences of that kind of sinful thinking. Now, before we jump into the text, let's talk about this meat. we got to figure out what this is all about. Now, let's get some background info here, because we might be asking, why are they eating meat offered to idols anyway? That's strange. And to us, certainly, that's very strange. What is that all about? Why is this even an issue? And so here's where this issue comes from. The people in that culture in that day believed, we know this, in many different gods, little g-gods. And they correctly are called in this passage, idols. And the people also believed in many evil spirits. That there were evil spirits all around us and in the air. It's kind of creepy to think about. And these evil spirits wanted to get inside you. Maybe they think about it like being a germaphobe today, but like evil spirits wanted to get inside of you. And these evil spirits uh, they wanted to enter you and to torment you, and the best way it seemed for these evil spirits to get inside of you was, of course, through your food. Through your food. Why not? You eat your food, and voila, they're in. They're in. So when people would take their sacrifices to the pagan temples, they were really accomplishing two things. And by the way, I'm not telling you how things really are right now. I'm telling you what they thought, okay? They were trying to accomplish two things. One was the attempt to gain the favor of their gods through this, through this offering. Give me what I want from you, please. Here's some animal. And two, they believed that when the sacrifice was made, that the meat of the sacrifice was cleansed of the evil spirits through the process of that sacrifice. Uh, Now, the person who brought the sacrifice would get a portion of the meat back for their own consumption, and the pagan priests who were doing the sacrifices would also get a portion. But because uh, the people were bringing sacrifices, more of them than the priests could eat, the leftovers would be sold at market. So instead of looking for the USDA stamp on that steak... They were looking for that offered to idols stamp to ensure that when they ate the meat, no evil spirits would be hitching a ride into their bodies. Does that make sense? No. But yeah, we get it, right? We understand what's going on here. With all of this being said, uh, what kind of meat would be more highly desirable in Corinth amongst all the people? We say, well, the meat offered to idols. That's the choice meat. And which meat would you serve at a special occasion to your special guests at a function like a formal wedding reception or something like that? You would only serve meat that had been cleansed from all those evil spirits. It would have been considered rude and reckless not to. But if you're a Christian and you've seen the darkness of all this idolatry and you've been saved from out of it, 
And then your unbelieving cousin invites you uh, over for dinner and proudly extends you his finest hospitality with this juicy choice steak. Well, now what? Do you eat the meat? Uh, feeling like you might be participating in the idolatry? Do you refuse it and risk offending your cousin? If your cousin's son has been recently saved and he's there, you're not sure how he feels about it? Even though you don't think there's anything wrong with it, what do you do? Do you see the issue? This is why this is being asked. And this was the Corinthian church's response. This is what they said in their letter to Paul. This was their argument, okay? All of us have gained knowledge. We know what's really going on here. And idols don't really exist. We know that. And food doesn't commend us to God anyway. Uh, We aren't saved because we eat the right foods. See Acts 10, Peter, kill and eat. Okay, so we're good. Therefore, based on those three things, we can eat the meat. Hooray, let's eat. And Paul's going to break down this argument into three sections in his response. Verses 1 through 3, he's going to cover this idea of all of us possessing knowledge. Number two, idols don't exist. We're going to find that in verses 4 through 7. And then that food doesn't commend us to God, verses 8 through 12. Uh, So, let's take a closer look at this passage now and see how we ought to look at this issue and others like it, because we're not struggling with the meat offered to idols issue today, are we? Okay, Uh, chapter 8, verse 1. Now, concerning food offered to idols, we know, and here comes part one of the argument, that all of us possess knowledge. We have become learned people through our study to discern what is right and wrong for all people in these situations. Go us. And Paul responds, this knowledge, this kind of knowledge, puffs up. It puffs up. It inflates. It gives you a big head. But... Love builds up. Building up means to strengthen, to increase the potential of others. Now, it might look like what we have here is a contrast between knowledge and love. Knowledge versus love, as if knowledge just makes people full of themselves and selfish. So don't, don't worry about that book learning. And love is the only thing that builds others up. Uh, so, so don't get too smart, or you'll turn into a selfish jerk, right? That's how that works. Don't study too hard, or you'll get full of all that doctrine. You won't be helpful to anyone. But that is not what Paul is saying here. That is not the contrast. Let's look at verse 2. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Ought meaning out of necessity. This is... Knowledge that is necessary knowledge. So if anyone thinks he knows something, if anyone possesses and starts getting amazed by his knowledge, fully enjoying himself or herself with all the wonderment of their intellectual and scriptural superiority, oh, aren't I wonderful? Aren't you blessed and graced with my presence and knowledge and my articulation of these wonderful, glorious truths? You don't know as you ought to know. (laughs) You don't know. If you think you know, you don't. And the more you do know, the more you realize you don't know. Amen? But you ought to know. It says that. 
you ought to know. There is knowledge that we must pursue. And here's what that knowledge is going to look like. Verse 3. But if anyone loves God, he is known relationship. He is known by God. So the church's argument was this. All of us possess knowledge. And Paul's response, sure. And there is self-centered knowledge that seeks out the facts and is searched out for my own selfish personal enjoyment. And there is knowledge that is rooted in love, that results in love, and is only possessed because God initiated a relationship with you. We love because he first loved us. So you can see why it would be wrong to contrast love and knowledge, love versus knowledge. Uh, Really, the contrast here is self-centered knowledge versus a Christ-centered, gospel-centered, others-minded knowledge. And this, of course, is the knowledge we ought to have, a knowledge that we ought to fervently pursue. Okay? Argument number two. Argument component number two. Idols don't really exist. Verse four. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know, quote, this is from the Corinthian church, an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. And this is true, right? These things are true. Psalm 115, 4-8 says this, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but they do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them, this is scary, those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Meaning idolaters, people worshiping these forms that were made by their own hands, also become mute and blind, deaf, etc., spiritually. Paul continues in verse 5. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many little g-gods and many little l-lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Paul just gave them some Colossians 1 right there, didn't he? Church, we exist through the work and sacrifice of Jesus. Without him, without his work on our behalf at the cross, the church does not exist. And we exist for the glory of God. That's why we exist. Meat does not exist for our glory. People do not exist for our good pleasure, for our glory. Entertainment doesn't exist for our glory. We were not created for a life of ease. We have been bought with a price. So glorify God. Now the other side of that is this. That meat that has been offered to idols... It doesn't actually exist for the glory of that idol because that idol doesn't exist. 
Therefore, eating the actual meat that was offered to an imaginary God technically can't glorify that idol because something that doesn't exist can't receive glory. Problem solved, right? Let's eat. Verse 7. However, not all possess this knowledge. But some, through former association with idols, perhaps we could say for the Christian who was formerly deeply involved in that world of idolatry, these believers, eat food as really offered to an idol. They haven't been able to disassociate that practice from reality. It's still very raw for them. It still brings back the feelings and the hurts and perhaps the temptations. And then their conscience, being weak, uh, not having yet been strengthened or corrected, taught through a loving, gospel-centered knowledge of the Scriptures, their weak conscience is defiled. Their conscience, their internal gauge of right and wrong is ignored and violated. So, by the way, this is where, right here, if it was the fall, September, coming this fall, and we'd started up our weekly Sunday night Bible and prayer meetings, I might say, come back tonight, and we'll talk about the conscience, what it is, and how to strengthen it, how to teach it, how to correct it. Uh, because this, our, our consciences, this is a whole other topic that is worth our time and attention and something that can be super helpful for our growth. Uh, Romans 14.23, in a passage, it talks about the same issue. Okay? Uh, it says this, Paul wrote this, But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Uh, that means that if your conscience is not in line with the truth of Scripture, and you don't realize it, and you believe that what you're wanting to do is wrong, even if it's not actually wrong, and you do it anyway, you've sinned. You've sinned. You have. You believed your internal gauge was saying, sin, sin. And you believed that what you were about to do was wrong. So when you go forward with it, when you go forward with it, you are still, as far as you can tell, defying God and saying, I am my own master. And therefore, it is sin. And then, to know that you can correct that gauge? Wow, that's significant. I used to work in a long, long time ago, I used to work in a tool and die and plastic injection molding shop. And part of my job was to go around and inspect the measuring tools that everyone was using. And we had these blocks, called gauge blocks, that were certified to be a certain size. So one inch, two inches, one and a quarter inch, whatever. And if I measured, let's say, the one inch block, and the measuring tools read one and one thirty-second inches, that would be a major problem. That tool would need to be sent off and corrected. I didn't know how to fix them. I just knew how to tell they were messed up. It had to be sent out and corrected, and all the products that had been measured with it would be called into question, and rightly so. Yes? That's the way that is. Our consciences can be wrong. They can be out of calibration with the truth of Scripture. You can, this means this, you can feel very passionate about something and be wrong about it. Yikes. 
but through growing knowledge of the truth of God's word that is characterized by love, that is gospel-centered and others-minded, it can be corrected. It can be calibrated. It can be strengthened. Praise the Lord. Uh, Studying God's word takes hard work. (laughs) But it's so worth it. It's worth it. It's better than silver and gold. It is sweeter than honey. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. How awesome is it to have confidence in knowing that you are following Christ and growing as a Christian because you know what God has said in his word. It's worth it. Let's dig into it. And that's, that's all I'm going to say about conscience for now, okay? Got to get back on track. The second component of the church's argument was this. Idols don't really exist, which is true. And Paul's response, you're right. Idols don't exist, but idolatry does. The practice of idol worship does exist, and it affects people. And you need to be lovingly and compassionately mindful of that for their benefit. And idols don't exist. You're right. God does. And you, church, exist for him and through the sacrifice of Christ. So be willing to sacrifice that meat if it's going to help your brother. Love them. Now, part three of the argument. Verse eight. Food will not commend us to God. We're no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. And again, in a vacuum, that's true. But... Take care. Take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak, those who have a weak conscience. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge, you knowledgeable person, eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged? And this word encouraged is the same word that was used up in verse 1 and translated as built up. There's a different kind of built up, though. This person is encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols. And if he breaks his conscience in doing so, he's sinning. You're building him up to sin. This is not a good kind of being built up. Being built up. This is building up a person to sin. So Paul is basically saying, even though what you're doing is not technically wrong, you are not going to teach your brother through this action. You can't say, hey, do this because it's okay. To him, that's not. That's not helpful. You're not going to calibrate his gauge of his conscience by simply eating the meat in front of him. All that will result in is emboldening him to violate his conscience, to go against what he believes to be God's will. Not helpful. Not loving. Verse 11, So, and so, by your knowledge... This weak person is destroyed. And this is where we might pridefully insert the slow clap. Right? Congratulations on that knowledge of yours, that freedom of yours. But Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, does far better than a sarcastic slow clap. Instead of attacking the person, he attacks the problem. In contrast, the self-centered, styled knowledge with the love of of the gospel. So let's read this verse again. So by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. 
the brother for whom Christ died. You might say kaboom on that, right? Not on that, on this. We can be prone to look at life and think of the pleasures we want to have. And when people around us make it so we can't do stuff, we get irritated with them. Get irritated. Jesus saw those people and saw you and me and all our sin, and he died for us. We see other people as a nuisance to our fun, and Christ saw people and went to the cross. And now he says, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Verse 12. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. You're sinning if you do this. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. So, what is this really about? Is it the meat that's the issue here? We say, well, no. It's not the meat. Uh, Later in chapter 10, Paul's going to instruct the people not to ask where the meat came from in order to make sure they don't violate conscience. Uh, So then what is the issue? It's love. The issue is love. It's the spiritual health and growth of that brother or sister in Christ. Uh, That is to be of more importance to me than whether or not I get to eat the meat or do whatever other thing that you can think of that the Bible does not forbid, but that your brother or sister is struggling with. And the pushback might be to that idea. Uh, But if I look at things that way, then I'll feel like I'm always serving everyone else. Yeah. That sounds sort of like not coming to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Having a mind to set aside your wants and to serve the needs of others sounds a lot like Jesus and the gospel and love, doesn't it? So this third component of the Corinthian church's argument was food will not commend us to God. Uh, Food doesn't save us or condemn us. Food will not commend us to God. And Paul's response, you're right. Food doesn't commend you to God. And neither does your self-centered knowledge. Neither does your self-centered knowledge. Jesus commends you to God. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Christ took our sin on himself at the cross and his righteousness has been put to our account This is how we are commended to God. So, love others the same way Christ has loved you. And by the way, speaking of that, did you notice this word knowledge is all over this passage? But the word love, after verse 3, never shows up again. I find that strange. I see that and I think, what is, what's going on here? Why is this? If Paul's going to use the word love to contrast with this self-centered kind of knowledge, why don't we see the word love at least as many times as we see the word knowledge? Uh, but we don't. Why? 
what does this passage of Scripture hold? Think about this. What does this passage of Scripture hold as the contrast to self-centered knowledge? What does Paul refer to in order to spell out love? And it's at the end of verse 11. The brother for whom Christ died. Love is in this passage. It's the gospel. The gospel. This is what is meant when we say that we want to be a gospel-centered church. The church is asking, can we eat meat or not? And the response, church, God has known you personally and chose to make you his child. While you were a sinner, he sent Christ to die for you. Christ humbled himself and took on flesh and lived a perfect life and then died your sinner's death. You have been loved, sacrificially loved. So go do that. And you know what that means? Sometimes it's going to be more loving to refrain from eating meat. Sometimes it's going to be more loving to eat it. And we might protest. Ah, that's harder. You just made it harder. Just tell me what to do and what not to do. But if we do that, what are we accomplishing? If we study this chapter and I conclude with, do this, and do this, and don't do that, and don't do that. Well, what do you know? I just wrote four new laws. And as soon as we make those rules a test of our fellowship, as soon as doing those things or not doing those things becomes the way that we inspect you and your spirituality, what have we done? That's called legalism. And it's a false gospel. A false gospel. And people who share the same new laws, they might start coming to church here, but we can be certain if we exchange the gospel message for a new set of laws to make things easier and to fulfill a selfish desire to have a set standard in areas where God does not set a standard, we as a church will begin to die. But God has called us to life and to love. We don't get to write new laws. Praise God. But listen to what Jesus says in John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Praise God for his great love that he has graciously poured out on us through Christ. And so church, First Baptist, let's seek to show love to one another. Let's seek to show one another and to others this same kind of gospel 
sacrificial love to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. We thank you that God the Son willingly took on this flesh and became man. We thank you that even though he was tempted in all points like as we are, he was yet found without sin. And that he, the spotless lamb, was able to die in our place, paying the penalty of our sin so that we could be forgiven that his righteousness, that his perfect life lived could be put to our record. God, we see that that is not fair, and so we say thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for making us your sons and your daughters. Thank you for giving us your word so that we could see you and know who you are and know these truths. God, may we love it and love your word and seek to know it in love, to love others, to love you, to see you for who you are. And God, we thank you that that effort results in change, that you graciously change us and make us more like Jesus progressively as we seek you. God, I pray that that would result as it should in us as a people, us as a church, having a greater and deeper love for one another. That we would fight for each other and fight with each other. And that that love would pour out of us and into the lives of others in our community that we know. That we would shine the light of, our, light of the gospel in our actions and through our words that we would see people being changed by your grace, becoming followers of Jesus. To your honor, your glory, and your praise, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.